Our scripture this morning is found in Hosea chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. Hosea chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. You know, let me tell you, what what we're going to see in this chapter is that God desires to heal us. Why? Because our sins, they are many, but his mercies are more. Wouldn't it be cool if we like, oh, I don't know, just sung a song about that? Our sins, they are many. His mercies are more. You know, the older I get, in, in my other job, computers don't understand a word that you say. Okay? They, they don't even understand what I type most of the time. Because the crazy things do what I told them to do instead of what I meant for them to do. Okay? Computers are binary, okay? When you get down onto the motherboard of your computer, there's only one of two possible values that everything on that motherboard can have, a one or a zero. It's either on or it's off. If you end up with a point three, that's when the thing starts going south on you, Okay? Everything in life, the longer I live, the more I come to understand that life and living the life that God has called me to live is very binary. Something is either right or it's wrong. It's not in between. Whatever we're thinking about doing is either fully within God's will or it is not. Partial obedience is complete disobedience, beloved. How many of y'all would be blessed if you gave your kids very specific instructions and they carried out 74% of them? Exactly the way you told them to. But the other 26, they did it Frank Sinatra's way, right? They did it my way. And you come in and you say, you didn't do what I asked you to do. You're not going to come in and say, you did 74% of what I asked you to do, good job. You're going to come in and say, you didn't do what I asked you to do. I have this policy I have a wiring document at work. That might surprise you all. It is very specific about how I want my network wired. Okay? And what I expect of a, of a cabling vendor when they come in to do work on our behalf. And it might surprise you all to know that I'm very picky. I expect the vendor to test every single port that I had him put in. Why? Because I'm going to. Okay? And here's what my document says. The first one that I find that doesn't work or is mislabeled, what's my assumption? Everything you did was wrong. Okay? Everything you did was wrong. At the first one I find that's wrong. You're going to come back 
and you're going to check every single label, and you're going to recertify every drop that I just had you put in for me. Because partial obedience is complete disobedience. God wants to heal us, beloved. Will we let him? Hosea chapter 7, verses 1 through 16, in honor of the reading of God's word, let's stand. When I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is uncovered, and the evil deeds of Samaria, for they deal falsely. The thief enters in, bandits raid outside, and they do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now, their deeds are all around them. They are before my face. With their wickedness they make the king glad, and the princes with their lies. They are all adulterers, like an oven heated by the baker who ceases to stir up the fire from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. On the day of our king, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. He stretched out his hand with scoffers, for their hearts are like an oven as they approach their plotting. Their anger smolders all night. In the morning, it burns like a flaming fire. All of them are hot like an oven, and they consume their rulers. All their kings have fallen. None of them calls on me. Ephraim mixes himself with the nations. Ephraim has become a cake not turned. Strangers devour his strength, yet he does not know it. Gray hairs also are sprinkled on him, yet he does not know it. Though the pride of Israel testifies against him, yet they have not returned to the Lord their God, nor have they sought him for all this. So Ephraim has become like a silly dove without sense. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. When they go, I will spread my net over them. I will bring them down like the birds of the sky. I will chastise them in accordance with the proclamation to their assembly. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction is theirs, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. And they do not cry to me from their heart. When they wail on their beds, for the sake of grain and new wine, they assemble themselves. They turn away from me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They turn, but not upward. They are like a deceitful bow. Their princes will fall by the sword because of the insolence of their tongue. This will be their derision in the land of Egypt. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst this morning. God, we pray that as you illumine the heart and mind of Hosea, when you gave to him this perfect and infallible word, that you would illumine our hearts and our minds this morning as well. Father God, we love you with all of our soul. We trust you with all of our heart. And we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer, in and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. You may be seated. You know... Part of what I studied in seminary was the history of the church. And in fact, even in my undergraduate work, we had a course entitled The History of the Baptist People. Okay? 
We studied the history of the Baptist people, beginning with the founding of, 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 the, of the Baptist movement uh, up through then. Interesting course. Because you knew that like 90% of your grade was going to be the final. And the final was an essay, in-class essay. You knew what the question was going to be from the first day of class. And so you were to be preparing yourself to be able to summarize around 400 years of Baptist history in a two-hour exam period. And if any of you have ever seen my handwriting, it had to be legible to the professor. But that's a whole other discussion. But as you study the history of the church, not just in the United States and around the world, we see God moving in various times. We, we tend to call them, those that study church history, call them awakenings. There have been several in the United States of America. Can I tell you what preceded every single one of those awakenings? Repentance. Repentance. God's people getting on their knees before Him and repenting of their sin. See, there was a time in this nation when the Christian church started out with zeal and earnestness and faithfulness and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the very first document associated with this nation, the Mayflower Mayflower Compact, and the name of our God were the first words of the Mayflower Compact. Started out with zeal and energy, and they wanted to get it right. Listen, they wanted to get their relationship with God absolutely right. And that zeal and that love spread all over the world. And there was vitality and interest and people were growing in grace. And then the time came. The people began substituting tradition for the Word of God. Aren't you glad you have never heard in a Baptist church, but pastor, we've never done it that way before. I'm glad I've never heard that in my ministry. Glad I've never said that in my ministry. They began substituting. Listen, beloved, I'm not here to go after Catholics this morning, but that's the problem with the Catholic Church. They've substituted tradition for the Word of God. And they will tell you that. I had a priest tell me that. That the tradition of the Catholic Church was at least as equally important as the Word of God. Mm. Anyway, here was the thinking. They thought if we could unite the world with Christianity, it will make a difference in the world. Whether the people that we're uniting with Christianity are genuinely confessing Jesus as their Lord and Savior or not. They never realized that when we bring the world into the church, 
the church is no longer the church. It's just the world with vestments on. It is possible for us to make all of the right signs and symbols, say the right words, do the right things, and, and, and make everyone think that we are outwardly devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, but at the same time have no real inner commitment to Him. That we've just always done it that way. God wants us to turn to Him and be fully committed. Verses 1 through 3. Here's the problem. The people had willfully forgotten that God will always remember all their wickedness. Remember what I talked about a few minutes ago being very binary? Okay, here's one of those binary moments. Either God remembers all of our wickedness, or all of our wickedness is laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary, and that's the only way that an omniscient God that we just sang about says that I will forget your sins. I will remove them from you as far as the east is from the west, and I will remember them no more. We often deliberately forget that God remembers our sins. You know, one of the things that's really amusing is our students, I don't know, maybe they think I'm like the Wizard of Oz, you know, just something back behind the curtain that's not really real, okay? And... We may be blocking some game. It's always a game. We may be blocking some game that they really want to spend time in class doing instead of paying attention to what the teacher is doing. Okay? It always amuses me when they begin, bruh. Okay, well, number one, I am not your bruh. Okay? I am Mr. Jones. Okay? And, and I am the one that will make the decision whether this site gets unblocked or not. Bruh. Okay? They willfully forget that there is a real human being monitoring what they're doing. I mean, over the course of the last couple of weeks, I've had at least two students search for how to make a bomb at school. Guess what happens when you type that? The police are going to show up at your house and interview you and mama and daddy to see whether you might be serious about that. These people just thought, here's the deal. How many of y'all sometimes think that God might be too busy to listen to your prayers? Hmm. We'll say, well, you know, well, God's got a universe to run, and there, there's seven billion people on the on the face of the planet, and we'll go a little bit universalistic, won't we? And they're all praying to Him, and He He just doesn't have time to to answer my prayers. So 
I got to take matters in my own hands. That's a whole other sermon, beloved. But on the other side of that coin is that if God is too busy to, to hear my prayers, then God is too busy to notice my sin. And so we think, we think that God is not going to see, but it says their deeds, verse 2, are all around them. They are before my face. The believer today should ask themselves, have we forgotten? Do we think that God doesn't see? Do we think that God doesn't see our favorite sins? Don't y'all look at me that way. We all got one. We all got a favorite sin. We do. Now, here's the deal. We've either convinced ourselves it's not a sin or we've convinced ourselves it's not as bad as old so-and-so's sin. And so God's going to give us a pass. God says they do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their deeds are all around them. Listen, beloved, you go throughout the New Testament, you go throughout the Old Testament, that's what they're about. Okay? I mean, one of the things they teach us in preacher school is that when you're writing a sermon, you should always ask, what is the sin or the situation for which God's grace is needed in this particular text? Well, there it is. There it is. They do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness and now their deeds are all around them. They're before my face. All of the Bible is dealing with this issue. Let me ask you a question. Why did Eve eat from that tree? Because she thought God wouldn't see. She thought God wouldn't see. Adam ate from the tree for the same reason because he thought God wouldn't see. Jeremiah gives us a promise for all of those that will come to God. Jeremiah 31, 34. They will not teach again. Each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. Amen. They will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Remember that binary thing at the beginning? There it is again. We're either in verse 2 of Hosea 7 or in verse 34 of Jeremiah 31. Either God's not going to remember your sin anymore or that your deeds are constantly before Him. We need to understand that only the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ is a substitute for our sin before Almighty God. John told us this in 1 John 5, verses 5 through 10. 
This is the message we, I, I wanted to back all of it up. You all all know verse 8, okay? But you know, for me, context is everything. And so that's why we're looking at a more extended uh, examination of this passage. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness of all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. Don't you love? How many of y'all, I, I, I know over in, in Cock County, if somebody was pulling your leg, you'd say they were telling you a Harry. Okay, y'all know what that is? They're telling you a Harry. That was a Harry tale. And, and we wish, you know, that the Bible would, would not shock our sensibilities. And that it would say that if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we're telling Harry. But the Bible is very specific. He says we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. Once again, beloved, are the lights on in this building? Other than these... See, some of y'all would have gone there as soon as I said what I'm getting ready to say next. Other than these, the lights in this building are very binary. They're either on or they're off. Okay? It's either light outside or it's dark outside. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. Now, if I am walking in the light as he himself is in the light, where am I not walking? In the darkness. Okay? I made a conscious choice to walk in the light. We have fellowship with one another. Do you see? I, I, I've explained this to you my entire 30 years here. Ten Commandments really break down to two things. First four, our vertical relationship with God. Last six, our horizontal relationships with one another. Jesus taught us if, the, if our horizontal relationships were, were messed up, then our vertical relationship had to be messed up. But here John is telling us that if I am walking in fellowship with God, then I have fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from most sin. No, that's not what John said at all. John said the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now, See, I wanted you to get to verse 8 because we love to go to, 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 to verse 9, okay? I wanted us to hear verse 8. If we say that we have no sin. You know, I, I knew a guy who used to pastor Leadvale over in Jefferson County, just outside of White Pine. And this was years ago. He's gone on to be with the Lord now, but he was raised in a very fundamental, independent Baptist fellowship. And they believed that you could attain a period in your life where you did not sin. And he told me one day that he was uh, at, at supper or something with his father-in-law, and his father-in-law told him that he hadn't sinned in 15 years. My Bible says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Do you understand? Once again, it's binary. Binary. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. But if we confess our sins, we will find forgiveness. God will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is almost like a, a, a sin confession sandwich. You've got not confessing sins on both sides of the meat. Okay? Why do we put bread on our sandwich? So that we can hold what we want to get to in the middle. Right? What we're really interested in is not the bread. We're interested in the peanut butter and jelly. Or we're interested in the ham and, and Swiss. Or we're interested in the turkey. Okay? And what we need to understand is that verse 9 is absolutely true, but we also need to remember that we can't go to God and say that, God, I don't have sin in my life. Beloved, God longs, listen to me, God longs to heal us and restore us more than we long for Him. Okay? He longs to heal us and restore us. Nearly everyone was ignoring the fact that God remembered every sin. What I want you to understand is that no matter what we've done, listen, I've done some things in my past. I've always tried to be open and honest with y'all, never hiding anything. My life's an open book. You want to know what I've done? I'll tell you. All right? Why would I do that? Because I want you to avoid the same mistakes that I made. Okay? I want you not to have to, to learn the hard way, that I, the, the way that I had to learn. Okay? But we need to understand that no matter what we have done, God greatly desires to forgive us and save us. No matter what we have done, but God showed His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's pretty huge. That's pretty huge that God is willing to go to that length, but we must receive it. Verses 4 through 7. Israel was consumed. You know, the way you make idols is you either get you a piece of wood and you carve one out, or if you're a, a goldsmith or silversmith, you, you cast one. And, and what they're saying that the oven has been heated up and, and they're relying on their idols. But now, you know, most of us, the only time we cook over an open fire is when we're camping. And, and how many of y'all go out and you light that fire and then you just leave it alone the whole time you're trying to cook? Why don't we cook over a fire? Why don't we buy campers with stoves and and, and, and ovens in them. Because you can turn that bad boy on and it'll hold the heat for you the whole time you're cooking. 
You don't have to be out there messing with the, with the fire every two seconds to keep it at the level you want it at. But these people were like an oven that, that started the fire and then walked away. And then he was surprised when his bread didn't get done. Okay? And it says all of them are going to become sick. He stretched out his hand with scoffers because their hearts are like an oven. As they approach their plotting, their anger smolders all night. You know what? I am working on this. I am working on it hard. But when I pick up the phone at work to call tech support, I need tech support. Okay? I need help. I need to talk to somebody that knows about the product more than I know about it. And somebody answers the phone with a certain accent. My anger begins to smolder. And all they did was told me their name. Okay? All they did was told me what their name was. And y'all know that ain't their name. Okay? Some guy with that accent says, well, thank you for calling Microsoft. This is Bob. It is not. But I appreciate your effort because I probably couldn't pronounce your name in the first place. All right? Their anger smolders all night. In the morning, it burns like a flaming fire. You want me to tell you how to, how to absolutely kill your marriage? Go to bed mad. Go to bed mad. That's how you kill your marriage. You'll kill it uh, quicker than just about anything else you can do. By going to bed mad. You say, well, it'll be better in the morning. No, it won't. You've had all night... While the other person might be somebody that can just drop off to sleep no matter what's going on around them. And they're over there just sawing the logs and you're going, how dare they? Here we are in the midst of this and he's over there just sleeping like ain't nothing going on. All of them are hot like an oven and they consume their rulers. God is describing the nation in these verses. And then don't you see the most tragic thing, the end of verse 7, none of them calls on me, verses 8 through 10. Ephraim has become a cake not turned. How do you make pancakes? You make up the batter, and then you get your griddle or your skillet, whatever you're going to cook them in, and you pour the batter into... The, the griddle, and then you wait a minute, and you take it out and you put it on the plate, right? What did I forget? I forgot to turn it over, which means that that pancake is only half-baked, okay? It's only half-cooked. It's only halfway ready to be, to be used. And that's what he's saying, is that, that you're showing one side to the world, but, but you know, you're hot on one side, but you're absolutely cold on the other. And you don't even realize it. Strangers are devouring your strength. You're presenting yourself to the world as He-Man. And yet, you're not. He doesn't know it. Gray hairs are sprinkled on Him. That'd be like me going, 
getting up in the morning and going, boy, I've got the prettiest red beard. All right? My beard is just nice and red. Gray hairs are sprinkled on him, yet he doesn't know it. Though the pride of Israel, I mean, that's bad. Their own conscience is testifying against them, yet they have not returned to the Lord their God, nor have they sought after him. Verse 10 tells us that pride keeps the person from repenting of their sin and seeking God. See, beloved, we need to understand God is perfect in holiness and righteousness. There can be zero sin in God's presence. You understand what I'm saying? It can't be percent sin and everything's okay. Again, it's binary. There is either zero sin or there's sin. And there can be no sin in God's presence because He is perfect in holiness and righteousness. And we need to understand we are never going to be good enough on our own for God to accept us. And so we must put aside our trust in ourself and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must believe and trust that He paid the penalty for our sin. Verses 11 through 12. We're almost done. Hosea just keeps piling illustration after illustration. Okay? I mean, I've sat through some sermons where like 99% of the sermon was an illustration. And you're going, dude. I mean, I appreciate the, the illustrations, but why don't you preach the Word of God to me? Okay? Now, Hosea is preaching the Word of God, and in this middle here, he's giving them illustrations so that he can help them understand. Okay? Y'all understand? What, what, what would it be like if a woman explained to a man that a kidney stone felt like having a baby? We're not going to understand that because we've never had a baby. Okay? And so that's what Hosea is doing. He's giving all of these illustrations so that the people, all of the people will come to an understanding of what God is saying. Verses 13 through 16. If you don't hear anything else that I said this morning, hear this. Israel understood their problem but they didn't understand their sin. They understood the problem, but they didn't understand the sin. And so when they had problems, they would wail on their bed. For the sake of grain and new wine, they assembled themselves. In other words, they'd come together to eat and drink, but they wouldn't come together to worship God. They wouldn't come to God seeking repentance, but they would come together to to, to, uh, assemble themselves. They turn away from me. And he said, although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They turn, but not upward, like a deceitful bow. Listen, 
I've got a 22 rifle that belonged to my great-granddaddy. He used it to kill hogs uh, a long time ago. This thing was made in 1912. Still fires. Okay? If I ever point it directly at you, there is nothing to fear. If I point it slightly off to your left, now there's something to fear. Okay? Because that is a deceitful 22. There is no way that you can adjust the sights to, to get this rifle where it will hit what you're aiming at. Okay? And that's what they're saying is that what Hosea said is that every time Israel pulls back the arrow, they miss the mark. Everything they're aiming at, they miss. The true target or goal of life should be to know the Lord. If we fail to seek the Lord and miss the mark of knowing Him personally, we doom ourselves. What they needed was a national day of repentance. Oh, beloved, will we get down on our knees and pour out our hearts in confession to the Lord God and ask Him to make us new men and new women in Christ. Nothing could have been greater from God's standpoint than for Israel to have a national day of repentance and confession and turn upward. Yet here's the progression and we're done. God wants to heal them, verse 1. They won't admit the need for healing, verse 2. They are angry, verse 6. They do not call on God, verse 7. They will not return to God, verse 10. They will not seek God, verse 10. They will not cry out to God, verse 14. They turn away from God, verse 14. They turn, but not upward, verse 16. No repentance. No recognition of their sin. No desire for renewal. It is possible for the Lord God to give us an experience of renewal. May the Lord do so in our hearts so that renewal comes to pass. I can't think of nothing greater for us than a renewal of our relationship with the living God.